Welcome to From Sin to Zen. We realize this podcast may not be for everyone. However, we believe there are no accidents, and we were meant to connect today. Let's consider a serious question. If the restrictions caused by the laws of religious dogma would have been able to bring the whole world together, why are so many leaving organized religion in search of a new spirituality? From Sin to Zen offers you an opportunity to contemplate what is true, which you will decide for yourself during our journey to spiritual self-empowerment. If you are in the process of re-examining old beliefs that no longer serve you and realize there has to be a more excellent way, then this podcast is for you. We invite you to join us as we take another look at some of the most important tenets of fundamental Judeo-Christian dogma that may be holding you back from fully expressing all you were created to be. This will take us from fear-based dogmas to a love-based experience, or from sin to zen. From Sin to Zen is sponsored by Soma Energetics Vibrational Tools and Training. Raise your vibration at www.somaenergetics.com. And Heartlight Spiritual Center, a spirit-led, heart-centered, Christ-conscious, loving community. Raise your consciousness at www.heartlightcharlotte.org. Your spiritual guide for Sin to Zen, David Hulse. Throughout his years of spiritual searching, David has challenged many traditional doctrines, theologies, and dogmas. He has inspired numerous individuals toward a journey of self-discovery by sharing his own experiences. As David has traveled through various beliefs about God, he now sees himself as a bridge between the old and the new. His stirring presentations of intuitive wisdom will inspire and challenge you to move from believing in God to the experiential realm of knowing God and manifesting the spiritual aspects of love, peace, and joy in your life. It is my pleasure to introduce David Hulse for an enlightened journey from sin to zen. Hello and welcome to today's podcast, From Sin to Zen. This podcast is dedicated to you who are on a path of transition, transforming yourself from and out of old Christian dogma and doctrine based on fear that is in some way affected and embedded your life at some deep level, even on the unconscious level. There is a great growth that is going on in spirituality as many people are leaving a lot of their old religious teachings to find a much more spiritual point of view concerning the uh, text of the Bible, for instance. So today is about embarking on a great adventure. 
And the path that we're going to take today and begin today is a journey into the mysterious and often elusive world of the Near East. I've said on the earlier podcasts of you that have been following this that one of the turning points for me as a young Christian was a realization, a self-realization. You know, sometimes we have realizations based on other people's ideas, but to have your own realization carries a great power, how you renew your mind. And I had a great moment at a time in which I was open and searching for answers that no one in the Bible spoke English. That changed everything from me. There was no English language as we know it at the time that Jesus walked this planet. The prophets, the apostles, the Old or the New Testament, but they were of the culture of the Near East and spoke Near Eastern languages. So how can we truly know what they were actually saying unless we bring it into the context of the time in which they would have lived and spoken? So I thought, okay, uh, the New Testament is always basically based on the Greek influence and the Greek language, mostly translated into English from the Greek. And uh, the Hebrew is the Old Testament that has been translated many, many times in many languages, Latin and German, and many, many translations of English until it kind of becomes uh, popular in the King James Version of the Bible, which is what was brought over uh, from England to the United States. And I grew up in a time in which the King James Bible was considered the infallible word of God, that this came directly from God. But when I realized that what Jesus said, which was the basic teachings behind Christian teachings, or Jesus and the so-called teachings of Jesus, that I would need to know what was being said in the context of the language in which he would have used at that time. Now that was taking on a big idea because I thought I am not probably going to go to some college, university, or theology school and learn the Hebrew or the Greek language. Now during this time I want to say also, some years later moving forward, that I realized that Jesus was most likely uh, a part of a sect called the Essene, the Essenes. Now, the Essenes are not mentioned in the Bible, but you have other uh, different religious uh, political sects, uh, such as uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's mostly the ones we know. But there were other groups or tribes. Uh, these tribes were more, I guess, healers and spiritual people who believed in more unorthodox uh, influences of Jewish and Roman teaching. And therefore, most likely, the Essenes spoke Aramaic. And I thought, okay, we have another language in the mix now that I need to uh, try to figure out how can I know these things. Well, the beautiful thing about the time that we are living is so much of this work has been done for us. And that we, many people have paid a highway uh, along this path. We're not on an old trail uh, or cutting a trail out in the woods somewhere or following some rustic trail, but actually there are super highways that have been made for us 
to really have access to information and to move quickly and fast on our path toward enlightenment. And one of those was a gentleman by the name of Strong. And Strong took the entire Bible and translated all the Old Testament from Hebrew into the English language. He also took every, now this is every word of the Bible, in the New Testament and translated from Greek to English. And I thought, what a great uh, contribution that has been given to us who are truly the students of our religions and the students toward uh, spirituality. And I purchased this very large concordance called the Strong's Concordance. And it was a huge book. You can imagine every word in the Bible uh, in one book was absolutely a huge book. So I was able to get a hold of that book. And so as I would, before I would minister or speak uh, anywhere, I would take my text out of the King James Bible and I would take and I would look up these words in the Hebrew, if they were Old Testament, and from the Greek, if they were New Testament. And I was shocked to find out the difference between what they would have said in the context of their time and culture and language in which they lived that was so different from how it was translated into more modern English language. So this was an important step for me because I personally believe that languages like English, which is very commerce uh, computer language today in the world, and before that, it was uh, German, which was uh, a language of engineering and cars and that type of thing. Very left brain. Uh, and then you have the different languages that are, we'll call the more romantic languages. Uh, but then you have languages that have been kind of lost. And one of them was the language of the Armenian people, which was the Aramaic. And this is what Jesus uh, spoke of. And he would use, where there was not an Aramaic language, he would borrow from the Hebrew. So you have e Hebrew loan languages in the teachings of Jesus, the rabbi. And Jesus was the rabbi. I know we, we want to see him first as the savior, but actually he was first the teacher. He was here to be the teacher. He was here to be a way shower. He was a way to help us to awaken up out of this Adam's dream that we had fallen asleep into the illusion that we are just physical bodies without a spirit that needs the spirit. And that's all changed today. What a major shift happened when Teller D. Chardin gave us this wonderful quote that we are not uh, human beings trying to have a spiritual experience, but we are spiritual beings trying to have somewhat of a successful human experience. So this changed the whole premise of everything. So today we want to begin to talk a little bit about what it might have been like in the time of 2,000 years ago and beyond uh, and the context of the cultures in which we lived. To do that, we have to understand a little bit of the Near East culture. One of the main things in the Near East uh, that is very frustrating to the Western mind is we're very black and white in our language. If I ask you a question, I will usually will want you to say yes or no, or this or that. But the Near Eastern people did not do that. They spoke in stories and parables. It was called a rabbinic method called hinting. 
In other words, they didn't tell you exactly what you wanted to hear, but they hinted at the answer so that you would come up with the answer inside yourself. Isn't that powerful? Now, you talk about empowering. That's not that way in, in Western teachings, Christian teachings, or any teachings at all. You believe what the professor says. You believe what the preacher says, the minister, the rabbi, the priest. Whatever they say, that is it. They never hint to that information that's already inside of you. And yes, I do believe that you come in with a little sacred divine chip, if you want to call it that, that holds all the knowledge and truth that you need in an incarnation to have a successful spiritual experience. Because we've not been taught to access that, we have what the Bible says come short of the glory. And in that shortness, in that space and consciousness, the ego, the carnal mind, the devil, Satan, oh, it's been given so many different names, sets up its illusions in us, and we see the world through the five senses of illusions. So while we got to wake up, folks, and that's what this podcast is about, is to help us to more and more and quickly uh, wake up. In... Um, in the teachings of, of Jesus, one of the next things that I read that fascinated me, that he said, that I caught differently with a different ear, and that was, I only speak to you in parables, or my words are in the parables. Now, I want you to get this. My words, not the parable, my words in the parables. And I thought to get to really what Spirit was saying I had to crack the code to open the parable. Well, most of these parables, now George Lamsa, who is really known for the great work that he did in the early years of translating the Bible into Aramaic, declared that there was over 40% of the things in the, in the scriptures is an uh, Aramaic idiom. Now, when I say an idiom, maybe you don't know what that means, maybe you do, but I can give an example, and the English would be something like, it's raining cats and dogs. Now, you know that's not a literal thing, but when you hear it, you know it's raining hard. It's an idiom. It's, it's pointing towards something else, but you don't want to take it literally. Why would you take it literally? Now, if you was some person didn't know the English language and you come over here and you and you say oh my god it's raining cats and dogs that person would take it literally because they just learned the language in a literal sense and they would not know the idiom behind it so idioms are those things that are passed down from culture to culture from group to group that we learn that they mean something else rather than what is being uh, specifically said so now we kind of believe that's even more than 40 percent let me give you one more example. Being raised in the Deep South and doing my early, early ministries throughout Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, and down in there, once in a while I would run into groups of people who were handling snakes, rattlesnakes. These were very Pentecostal type people who, due to a scripture, says that you can handle serpents and they will not harm you. You can drink poison and it will not harm you. Now, they took that literally, so here they are whipping snakes around. Now, many of them did get bit and, and, uh, and uh, uh, sick. Uh, others did not. It's, it's just the, the, the way the cards play out uh, that these things happen. 
but that is ridiculous because that doesn't lip, that's not literal. In the Aramaic idiom, if you if you understood it as an idiom, it's saying, do not worry about people's venom of gossip that they try to ruin your reputation for they cannot harm you. That's all that means. Doesn't mean go out and grind a rattlesnake and whip it around in Jesus' name and speak in tongues and whatever else is done like that. See? Such lack of knowledge, such lack of teaching. We need so much more teaching than just preaching, being preached at. We need to be taught. And that's what we're trying to do here is to dispel all of these mistranslations uh, and misunderstandings that has found itself in the man-made aspect of Christi Christianity. So it is very important that we understand that most everything that Jesus did as a rabbi was called rabbinic, rabbinic method, called hinting. He was always saying something, hinting toward the answer inside the person. I get questions right now sometimes. They want me to give a specific answer to it. But really the best thing that I can do is just try to get them into that part of their own mind that holds the answer already. That's why there's a scripture that I really like, and that is I'll answer before you, before you ask. And the reason that the God in you, the spirit in you, whatever you choose to call it, Holy Spirit, Christ consciousness, that part of your uh, your divine intelligence, uh, the end is the answer. It's already in you before you ask the question. So sometimes we don't listen to the answer in ourselves. We seek the answer outside of ourselves, and we get other people's answers. You say, well, what am I doing listening to you? Well, I want to make it very clear to you that I am not trying to convert anyone to my way of seeing things. I am only offering another perspective not the perspective, but a perspective, because I think there's many, many levels in which we can perceive what is called our truth. And sometimes you have to find your truth. Somebody said, well, the only truth there is is God. Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth. Well, the thing is, he said, I'm the truth. He didn't say, I have the truth necessarily. I am the truth. So the truth is his identity. Truth is who you truly are as you were created in the mind and likeness of your creator. That's the truth with a capital T. Now, to try to figure out what's true with a little t, there's the challenge. Because we all live on so many different levels of thinking and perception that most of the time, a lot of time, do not agree with another's level of perception, and therefore the ego tries to say, well, if I'm right and you don't agree with me, you're wrong. So we have the right, wrong, this and that, I'm not you, you're not me, and separation takes a hold, uh, and that's what needs to be so healed in the world uh, today. So Aramaic is a fascinating uh, language to look at, so as the, the old adage is, is when the student is ready, the teacher shall appear. So this teacher appeared to, in my life, as Rocco Erico, Rocco Erico, founder and president of the Nura Foundation at that time was in California, I believe it was in Georgia, the last that I heard teaching in a metaphysical college there. But Rocco Erico, who had the same background that I did, we came from the very same 
uh, Pentecostal denomination, so we had a lot in common, but he became the protege of George M. Lampsa of the Near Eastern Bible, which had a lot of great work of uh, bringing the Aramaic to it. He continued that work and has brought it into such deeper, deeper teachings. So I heard about him, checked him out, and he was having a week-long uh, workshop uh, in the mountains of California for a week on the Aramaic and learning the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, what Jesus really answered them when they said, teach us to pray. And I went out for a week and uh, learned the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic and got a lot of his books and continued to study more about this kind of lost forgotten language. There's still some people around in northern Iraq and other places that still speak the Aramaic language, but pretty much it's a language that is not well known to most people. But yet it could hold uh, a lot of the answers to really what these, uh, uh, what Jesus said and other teachers said who also spoke uh, the Aramaic uh, language. So we're going to look a little bit into some of the, the culture of the Near East I like to look at the psychology of the Near East, the symbolism of Near East, and Near Eastern uh, amplification. All numbers and whatever all has a meaning in the Aramaic. So let's look at some of these, these things. Now recently I just did a podcast. If you're new, there are podcasts online that you can reach back to and kind of catch up on a lot of the subjects that we have looked at. But recently, we looked at this idea of the devil or Satan. Satan. Now, I have a couple of things to say here, and my style of teaching may be seen a little challenging sometimes because I don't believe necessarily what is true at one level of consciousness or thinking is necessarily true on another. I started noticing, oh, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, that people would not give a so black and white answer, but maybe they would say something like, uh, you ask a question, they'd say, yes, and then they'd kind of stop and say, yes, at one level, but at another level, and I realized that we were kind of rewiring how the mind works, how the brain works, and into more a multidimensional consciousness, rather than linear one way of thinking of things. Uh, versus another way of thinking of things, but, but some other levels of consciousness were beginning to bleed in, and we were finding that we can tune or adjust our thinking of what is true to another level. And, and that doesn't mean that the other level is not true anymore. It just means that that truth has evolved and grown and to a different uh, level. And, and that's the thing, again, that is so missing from religion that bothers me. Human beings by nature are always anticipation of what's new, what's new, what's new, what's the new car coming out, what's the new hairdo, what's the new clothing style, uh, what's the new, newest television show, the newest series, the newest movie. We love expectation of something that is new except religion. Religion has pretty much uh, stayed within the confinements of its early founders and fathers uh, as it's become a, in a state of dogma or doctrine. Very little, very little do um, religions look 
at themselves and see where they can grow and where they can update themselves. And we keep teaching people what people was teaching 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago. And, and that's the God of then. I'm saying, where's the God of now? 2023 is almost here, and I need to upgrade my thinking of who the divine is from 2022, which I'm glad to do, uh, to 2023. So because the world is changing so fast, culture is changing so fast, America is changing so fast, everything is changing so fast that it is my job to continuously adapt to the present truth. There's a difference in truth and present truth. So what is the present truth? So we're doing a couple of different things here. We're trying to clean up the past. That's the first thing you got to do. You got to go back and clean up your old belief systems. Um, and, and people say to me, well, I don't believe this anymore. And I don't believe that anymore. Well, consciously you don't, but that doesn't mean the imprint has been changed in the subconscious or unconscious part of yourself. And that's what drives you. You know, uh, being conscious of uh, right now, if you're sitting here listening to this podcast and you're conscious of what I'm saying, that's a very little piece of consciousness. And maybe you're sitting in a chair, maybe you uh, pick up a pen, maybe you do so, and you're not even conscious of anything that you're doing most of the time. I get in my car, I'm not conscious of every minute, every mile, everything. I drive my car because it's recorded in my subconscious. So the subconscious drives me more throughout the day than just being conscious on one bit of information. So that means the work has to be in the house. There's a parable in that Jesus said, go back and sweep the house because there's a, a lost coin, I believe it is. In fact, I used to minister in a church mm -hmm. called the Lost Coin Body of Christ because of that scripture, that there's something lost. There's, there's something that's been lost that we need to go back and correct and, and rediscover and refine. And that's kind of what we're doing. At the same time, we're kind of trying to deal to building a consciousness that fits the time we're living in. And then at that point, we become initiates to begin to co-create our destiny and our future and have a vision, for without a vision, the people shall perish. So, I think all of these things are so important. I think they're not being taught in most Christian schools. Also, there are some benefits um, of, of many things that are changing that I'm glad of. I recently just joined a group of people uh, that have come together, ministers and churches, called Progressive Christianity. I thought, hmm, I don't know if I've ever seen those two words put together. Progressive Christianity. I've never thought of Christianity. It's very progressive. But here's a lot of different churches through different denominations who really have grown up spiritually and outgrown some of their old dogmas, but still want to hold on to the teachings of Jesus and to wonderful spiritual principles. And I thought, this is who I'm going to join up with. People who are progressive, who are ever uh, growing. One of the scriptures that I comes to my mind right now, I think that I want to share with you, that happened to me 60-some years ago when I started speaking, was out of the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And it says, until we come to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ, until we come to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ, and it goes on, it says, being no more children, being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but growing up in Christ. Oh my. That set a tone with me. I thought, uh-oh, 
I can't just take this thing at, uh, at, at face value. I just can't take this what they told me it is. It is my responsibility to do my research. It is my responsibility to check out all of these things that I am going to qualify as my belief system. Because that belief system is going to be the lens that I'm going to see the world, myself, and other people. So sometimes we have to clean, clean the, the lens, you know, like... Uh, the, the old story of the woman who didn't like her neighbor because she looked out and every time she put her sheets out on the line, they were dirty white sheets. And she just thought, why does why she wash these dirty white sheets and, and whatever? Well, the, the, the crux of the story is that it wasn't the white sheets that were dirty. Her windows were dirty that she was looking out making the sheets look dirty. So sometimes you got to clean your lenses a little bit and you got to see that the way you thought something was is not the way it is. So, oh, so much here that I want to share with you, and we'll, we'll just stay on this a, a little bit uh, in some way. But we started talking about this idea of, um, of Satan. So I wanted to start with you uh, in the few minutes that I have left here. So let's turn to the light of the Aramaic language um, for just a moment on this subject, which is one of the most misunderstood subjects in the Bible, as far as I'm concerned. The malevolent force known as Satan, or the Kabbalah, if you're into that, calls it Satan, Satan. It is an idiomatic term, Satan, devil, evil spirit, unclean spirit, are all extensively used in the New Testament. Now, they're not used hardly at all in the Old Testament only in the New Testament. It is Jesus and the apostles who make use of these idioms. Remember, idioms? Are they really what they're saying, or are they pointing to something? And usually everything that's pointing to anything is pointing to something in yourself. I want you to get that. Don't project it on symbols outside yourself, but anything that's out there that pushes your button is mostly because you already have it a part of yourself at some subconscious level. So you heard the old saying, I'm my worst enemy. Well, yes. <laughs> Although there are few such references in the Old Testament, it is Jesus and the apostles who make these idioms most frequently. There are also some similar expressions used in our own language. Oh, yeah. What about that? The devil is with you. Deviled ham. You devil you. The devil is in the details. We use this word as slang all the time. It is not at all my purpose in this talk today to teach the origin of Lucifer, which, Lucifer, which I'm going to do because it's so important. I'm going to teach that. Maybe next time, so be sure and and um, tune in, but I'll get to it. I want to talk about this misunderstanding about Lucifer failed to become Satan. The Bible doesn't even teach that, and you will see when you take off your Christian dogmatic glasses, you will see things in the true context in which it is being said. So, but uh, rather, let's look at the idiomatic use of such terms which we may have taken literally when reading the teachings of Jesus or the apostles. 
So let's look at, begin with the scripture in 2 Corinthians 12 and 7 in the King James, I'll use, because that's the most familiar one I've downloaded. It says, and I quote, and, and least I should be exalted, that there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Hmm. That's an interesting scripture. Let me read it again. He says that so that I don't get exalted, that it has been given to me by spirit, a something called a thorn in the flesh, that he calls a messenger of Satan to buffet me so that he's not exalted in his ego, but keeps him balanced and humble and always remembering that it's not him, but it's what's coming through him. This is Paul speaking. It's the spirit speaking through Paul and not Paul, who is the center of attraction here. Evidently, when he preached in certain areas, false teachers would arrive accusing him of distributing all kinds of wrong teachings and kind of challenging the leadership and throwing doubt on his apostleship. So they would accuse him. They would give him a, a hard time. These custom vexed and annoyed Paul and were a continual source of irritation to him or a thorn in the flesh. I understand that. People through the years who have tried to... Um, discredit me, who has gossiped about me, who has tried to put me, paint me as a false prophet or someone that's deceiving the people. That hurt at that time. But really, when I look back, it was important to make sure that I checked in on myself to see what is my motive in all of this. And I feel before I go on anyway that I'd like to take the last few minutes just to speak from my heart. I really have no ill feelings about religion and about the religion I was raised in. I was raised in a religion that was one of the, at the time, largest and still may be, the largest Pentecostal denominations. denomination. My own aunt was the pastor of my church which in itself was amazing in the 50s that a woman was a pastor of a fundamentalist church, but she was just that powerful as a successful church. I literally idolized her. She was amazing. My uncle was the presbyter and overseer of an entire region of this denomination. So I was raised in the midst of a very... Uh, connected family to this religion. There were very much singers, musicians, teachers, preachers, and ministers. And then there was me, just sat down in the middle of this tribe of people. Of course, the easier way was to follow the tribe, to follow my ancestry, to follow and get the validation and be a part of something bigger than myself as far as being a part of a group or a tribe of people. But I came in a little differently. It's kind of mysteriously. But it seemed, and the only way I can say this, is for some reason I had a different 
rapport with time and space. What did I mean? I mean, I thought differently. I saw differently. Questions came up in me that I don't know where they came from, but I just came in as a seeker. I just wanted to know. Somehow I had a deep feeling, I guess, intuitively, that this was going to be a part of the rest of my life. It just felt like I was born to be a part of the quote-unquote religious, spiritual path in life. And I thought, if this is to be, it is up to me to know exactly what I'm giving my life to and to make sure that I'm following a true path. And so that is what started me with this idea of questioning the uh, orthodox man-made religion and religions that I was a part of in growing up many decades ago. A lot of the times I did not, the only answer I got was a scripture out of the Bible because you got to understand, most literalists believe only from the Bible and have never studied the Bible itself. I never was anywhere somebody studied the Bible. One of the things that I love to do with people when they say, uh, the Bible is God's version, I said, turn that first page, and it says, King James Version. Not God's version, it was King James. It's not a book from God about us, it's about a book from us about God. It is through our lens. We even made God look like us. Oh my, how do you make a spirit? God is a spirit. How do you make a spirit that looks like an old man? An old man with a beard and long white uh, hair. Uh, you know, the Sistine Chapel thing of God with his finger going out toward Adam. Oh man, did we miss it? We missed it. God is a spirit. You cannot confine that into the image of man. We were created in the image of God, and then we ended up creating God in the image of us. We paid the compliment back. So what I'm trying to say to you today, if, if my religion, if religion itself as we know it, would have panned out to be provable to me, not just provable mentally, but resonate with my inner faith, I would have been glad to stay right where I was. I had no beef with it. I had no reason. I had every reason to stay with it. Having an aunt and uncle and others who were high uh, in the, the power of this religion, I would have had it made the rest of my life. But instead, I chose to step out of it, to stand so-called naked. And when I say naked, I mean taking off my outer clothing, that I had wrapped myself in dogma and doctrine. I stood ready before God authentically. Use me, guide me, teach me. Oh, little did I know what I was saying. If I'd had a crystal ball and looked what the next decades would have held for me, I would have probably absolutely said no. But that's the good thing about not knowing everything that's coming. And God keeps a little place of the mystery for himself. So. Yes, in many ways that religion did not pan out to be what it said. It did not give me the fruits of what it said it could do. Uh, I, I, I observed healing, being born in Tulsa, Oklahoma around the old Roberts healing era and all the great healers of that time. I sat there as a child and observed this whole thing. 
about why some people got healed and others didn't. And we're going to be addressing that on the podcast. You don't want to miss that one. Because why do people heal and not others? Is God healing somebody and overlooking another person? Or is something else going on there? Oh, there may be a powerful key for that to happen. So we want to get into some of these more controversial uh, subjects. And so we're going to continue the next time on this idea of Satan and the devil and look at it through the eyes of a Near Eastern Aramaic person 2,000 years ago. And yes, you got to be willing to have some correction in your old belief systems. And I know your ego doesn't like that because the ego wants you to believe you've got it all figured out and you, you figured it out so much that you have almost adapted to that as a part of your identity. But I'm asking you to be a student, a student of the universe, a student that is a seeker, preparing yourself to be an initiate to the next level of what it means to be an enlightened spiritual human being. Let's go from sin and fear-based consciousness to zen of inner peace that passes understanding. You can find the calmness of your inner Zen garden in you right now in the midst of all of the chaos of what's breaking down. Please let us hear from you. Tell your other friends about us. And there is information uh, on this podcast that where you can get in touch with us. uh, And we will see you next time.